0: Well, for the last few weeks uh, and through the Christmas season, we've been considering uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and uh, we've got three more weeks that we're going to look at her life and her story. Um, and so uh, we're going to look again at Luke chapter two today. Would you join me in a word of prayer before we have this morning's message? Heavenly Father. Heavenly Father. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There's a lot of things in life that call a lot out of us. Um, To be excellent at most things takes a lot of hard work and discipline, Um, even sacrifice. I am always amazed at the price that uh, athletes are willing to pay and the lengths they're willing to go through, especially elite athletes, to be an elite athlete. Um, In a few weeks, we'll be watching the Olympics, um, and uh, we will hear stories of people who are working part-time jobs so that they can train eight hours a day. (laughs) Anybody want to train eight hours a day for um, athletics, bobsledding. Um, I'm not sure how you train for eight hours a day with bobsledding. I guess, uh, you sled a lot. Uh, not quite sure. And we hear stories of people who, uh, like Rocky and those famous movies radically alter their diets so that they can, uh, or the wrestlers, if any high school wrestlers today, all trying to cut weight. And then we have that whole, uh, table of goodies that we put out for them. Uh, People, athletes especially, train their bodies and they work very hard to to be in the peak physical condition that's, uh, you know, optimum. And hopefully that's where the Broncos are today, right? That they are in peak physical condition, that they're ready to go. Um, And Art's excited. Um, There's some Bronco gear back there. I'm glad to see that. So, uh, yeah. You know, football is... uh, is a sport basically where there's um, 22 men desperately in need of a rest being watched by 70,000 people desperately in need of exercise. <laughs> you know, it just puts it in perspective for us, right? There are many things in life, though, that human beings are willing to sacrifice greatly to accomplish. There are many things that they are willing to uh, pay the price, count the cost, many things that they're willing to to give their energies, their lives, their money to, to make possible in this world. There are many things that people uh, willingly, even joyfully will give themselves to. Yeah, it, it can be simple things. I, I, I was watching uh, uh, YouTube and there's all sorts of interesting passions on YouTube. There's a young man who is a trombone player. He's an excellent trombone player. And his intro page to you t- his YouTube page, which has had millions of hits, watching a guy, a guy play trombone, who knew that you could you know, have a life playing trombone on YouTube, but this guy's managed to do it. And on his opening page, he says that the key to having a good, happy, successful life is to find what you're good at and pursue it. To find what you're good at and gifted at and pursue it. And this young man has has sacrificed a lot of his time and money and energy to become the best trombone player he can possibly become. In fact, when you watch him, it's fascinating because he arranges pop songs off the radio uh, in four or five part trombone harmony. Whoever thought you could do that, right? And when you watch him, you're like, wow, that is amazing. He's a great trombone player. I should go buy a trombone and play just like him. (laughs) But when you watch a young man like him, you realize I'm not willing to pay the price to become that good at trombone. Uh, When you watch other gifted artists at their task, you understand all of the hours that they put in to becoming that good. In fact, Malcolm Gladwell wrote a book um, that talked about how long it takes to become an expert at anything. And experts tell us that to become an expert, and I don't know how they became experts. They must have followed Gladwell's rule, but... uh, People who study these things tell us that it takes 10,000 hours to become an expert at something. And that has been really good information for me because my children, who aren't really experts at much of anything, regularly think they should be experts at things. And I'm able to tell them, hey, how many hours does it take to be an expert at something? 10,000 hours. How many hours do you think you've been playing baseball so far? I don't know, 50. Okay, you've got a long ways to go. How many hours do you think you've been playing basketball? I don't know, 25. How many hours do you think you've been playing football? I don't know, 100. How many hours do you think? And experts say that it takes 10,000 hours or roughly 10 years of repeated effort to become an expert at something. I've been preaching for 11 years now. I should be an expert. Of course, think of it this way. That's only like half an hour to 45 minutes, 52 weeks a year for 10 years. So I've got a long way to go before I'll ever be an expert at preaching. And so uh, it takes a long time and it takes discipline and it takes sacrifice. And you have to say no to things in order to become an expert at something. You can't just be an expert at everything. We all understand this. And yet we have Hollywood telling us, just be awesome at everything. Schools telling us, just be awesome at everything. Parents telling us, just be awesome at everything. And we all know that that's impossible. Just innately, we are a finite being. We can't be excellent at everything. We know that we have to sacrifice. We know that we have to work hard. We know that there are those things that we have to say, I can't. Do that because I want this more. I'm learning that about barbecue lately. I've spoiled my wife and kids with making pretty good barbecue. At least my wife tells me. So I feel pretty good about that. But we went to a barbecue joint in in Colorado Springs this past week. It's called Rudy's. And it was pretty good. But my wife's like, oh, the ribs you make are way better. I felt pretty good about that. (laughs) I haven't even been doing that for 10,000 hours yet. But what I'm learning is I can't eat barbecue every day in order to... I could, I just wouldn't be very thin. And I'd be larger than I am. If I pastored in Kansas City, I'd probably be 500 pounds in a wheelchair. Everybody open your Bibles, too. And I'm learning that you have to sacrifice certain things in order to have others. We learned this really young when we're children. It's called brushing your teeth. If you want to be cavity free, you must be a slave to the toothbrush. But if you don't become a slave to the toothbrush, you'll be a slave to the cavity. You'll be a slave to the dentist, to somebody. Eventually, you will pay the piper on that one. And everything in life works that way. If we're willing to sacrifice for some things and say no to other things. And so one of the things I want to have you thinking about is what is it you are willing to sacrifice for? What is it you are willing to to give up so you can do other things? Now, we're going to read this text in Luke chapter two, and you're going to be like, huh? How does that apply to what he just said? And and granted, I'm not quite sure. I'm not quite an expert on this, but we'll figure it out as we go. Now, in Luke chapter 2, this is the go-to passage for Jesus' birth, right? This is where we go to read about the angels, to read about Jesus and his birth. And we don't get much about his childhood. But in this passage, we have the only story from Jesus' middle school days. And so we read this story about Jesus' middle school days in Luke chapter 2. Every year, this is in 2, verse 41. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. Now, this is something that good Jews did because they were told in the scriptures to do it. Every Jewish male was supposed to go to Jerusalem for the Passover to celebrate the Passover. And the celebration of Passover was a week-long activity where they couldn't work. Oh, a mandated religious vacation. That is just awful, isn't it? You know, you gotta, I've said this before, but I'm going to say it again. You've got to love a God who mandates vacation time, right? And they were mandated vacation time. And the reason that they went off to Jerusalem is because they all gathered as God's people in the particular location, the temple, so that we, they could make offerings of the Passover lamb, so that they could participate in the Passover meal together as the people of Israel, and that they could remember who they were and who they still are. Now, one thing we don't always connect with this is that Passover for the Jewish people was like their 4th of July. When I wake up on the morning of July 4th, I'm usually glad that I don't have to work and I'm also thinking about what I'm going to grill. And I'm also thinking about who's coming over. And I'm also thinking about what are we going to blow up. And I'm also thinking about what I'm going to watch blow up. And about the only time it crosses my mind, what I'm, what I'm participating in is when I grab my flag and I put it out on my house. And that's about the only part of that day that I really stop and think what it is. To be an American and what it is to be free. And the reason that's the only part of the day is because I take it for granted, much like most of you. We take our freedom for granted. But one of the things that would change about July 4th for us is let's say there was an invading power that took us over. And we were no longer free we were no longer free to do whatever we wanted. We were no longer free to, to just conduct our lives the way we did. They told us how to live and how to do things and what we could be and what we couldn't be. And July 4th would roll around. And let's say that this government allowed us to still observe July 4th. How do you think the meaning of July 4th would, would then feel to you? What do you think the stories would be about July 4th? What do you think you'd feel when you put up that American flag if they let us do it? How do you think you would feel when you got together with friends and family? When you talked about the founding fathers, when you talked about the Constitution, what what would we do? We'd probably get it together and we'd read the Constitution. We would sit together and we would talk about what it was like. You see, Passover was like that for the Jews. Because they have been conquered by an occupying force called the Romans. And the Romans allow the Jews to participate in Passover. And when they get together in Jerusalem, everybody's talking about, who do you think the Messiah is? Do you think he's here yet? When are we going to get our freedom? Do you remember the good old days when Moses rescued us from Egypt? When God used Moses to rescue us from Egypt and we got here to the promised land? It's not feeling too promising now. But he said in the prophets and he said throughout the Old Testament that a son of David is coming. A son of David is coming. A Messiah, a king, an anointed one. And when they would reenact the Passover feast, when they would kill that sacrificial lamb, when they watched the young Hebrew boys. I wonder if any of them thought. You think that could be son of David? So Mary and Joe go to Jerusalem. And when he was 12 years old, Jesus, they went up to the festival according to the custom. And after the festival was over, so after they'd been there for a week and they've partied and they've carried on with Passover and they've had a good week off, they, uh, While his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. (laughs) Oops. You know, I've never done that with my children. Because I only have three and we all ride together in the same vehicle. And you might think, wow, Mary is a really bad mom here. In fact, moms have this built-in bad mom button. It just, it comes with a child. It's like. It's not even an option. It just shows up when you give, a, when you have birth, with a, when you, when the baby shows up, you just get this free button, bad mom button, and lots of people press this bad mom button. The kid presses it, husbands unintentionally press it, um, society presses it, uh, magazines press it, the Bible can even press it, and Mary had one of those bad mom buttons. Only hers was extra big because she was the mother of Jesus, the son of God. He was perfect. (laughs) Could you imagine some of those discussions? (laughs) Don't talk back to me. I wasn't, Mom. I just know far more than you do. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Bad mom, bad mom, right? (laughs) And I can imagine that this story was really present, and it probably even got Joe a little bit bad dad. Now you're thinking how on earth could they leave Jerusalem after being there a week without their kid? And some of you already know the answer. Yeah. After being away on a vacation with my kids for a week, I'd leave them. Okay. Some of you are saying that the more, the more honest of you. Um, the less honest of you are saying, how could this happen to them? And, I mean, wouldn't they just crawl all together in the vehicle? Would they all get in the wagon? Wouldn't they get on the donkey all together? I mean, I've seen those third world pictures and they have a family of three, four, five, seven on one motorcycle. I mean, how hard is this? <laughs> and you've got to remember that they traveled from Nazareth to Jerusalem, about an 85-mile journey, one way. And they traveled in a caravan because it was... It was far more safe. They traveled in a caravan. So most likely Joe's hanging out with the guys and they're talking about the Bronco game and how they're going to do later that day. And Mary is hanging out with the ladies and they're talking about how they're all bad moms or whatever women talk about. I'm just totally joking. And the gals are giving me death looks (laughs) moving right along. Mary probably thought Jesus was with Joe. Because Jesus likes to talk about football. Joe thinks Jesus is with Mary because he's a mama's boy. He's not even his kid, right? And they walk. It's in the Bible. Haven't you heard? Didn't you guys read the first part of Luke? So they're walking. I'm totally kidding. Jesus is not a mama's boy. So they're walking for a whole day. They walk for a whole day. 20 miles or so. And they say this. Thinking he was in their company. He must be with Mary. He must be with Joe. They traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. Hey, have you seen Jesus? (laughs) That's funny. This is before the bracelets were around, right? (laughs) Hey, have you seen Jesus? Where's Jesus at? This is the where Jesus is at uh, bracelet. They're looking for him around amongst their friends and relatives. And when they did not find him, Mary's mad, bad button, mother button was pressed. No, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. Can you imagine those discussions on the way back? I thought he was with you. Well, I thought he was with you. We got to walk all the way back to Jerusalem. It's 20 thinking miles. We have to go all the way back and find Jesus. (laughs) Guys, you don't want to be that guy, right? Yes, dear. The answer is yes, dear. Always. Yes, dear. Yes, dear. Mm -hmm. Sorry, honey. Let's go find Jesus. So they're walking all the way back. But look what happens. After three days, they found him. (laughs) That's a long time. When I was 12, I don't think I would have been able to survive for three days by myself. You... Some of the ladies, I'm pretty sure, could manage that. But the guys, come on. Uh, Is there a microwave? After three days, Jesus, where is that kid? I don't know. He's your son. I I can't find him anywhere. After three days, they found him where? In the temple courts. (laughs) If you have a lost middle schooler, this is not the point of the story. Would you first start looking at church? They didn't either. Because <laughs> that's not where lost middle schoolers go. You know, I can't find my parents. I'm going to go to the church. In fact, if you keep reading, you find that he's not even lost in his own mind. He's in the temple court, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Huh? Huh? This is a strange 12-year-old. Most 12-year-olds I know have just finished quitting. They've just quit picking their nose. They're riding bicycles and playing Little League. They're not hanging out with me talking about theology. And Jesus is sitting with the scholars. And by the way, this is at the tail end of Passover. This is these scholars. These are the brainiacs of the brainiacs of the Hebrews hanging out talking theology. These are the wise guys. These are the ones that have studied it all. And they are sitting around talking to Jesus. And if you keep reading, it says this, everyone who heard him. So he's not just asking questions and he's not just listening. Luke tells us everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. You see what Luke is drawing the picture for you and me is that Jesus number one is sitting and that's really important. He tells us that, right? Why would Luke tell us that it's been three days? It's a long time to stand. He tells us he's sitting because he has taken up a place of either. Number one, learning from a rabbi or number two, he is the rabbi. He's the teacher. And when you read what it says about, they're all amazed at his answers I think what's going on is Luke is telling us Jesus is teaching. You know, that's not too uncommon in our day and age for us to learn something new from our 12 year olds because they can use computers. They can help us with our smartphones, which are too smart. Sometimes they can show us how to program back when I was a kid. It was showing my parents how to program the VCR. Come on. Let's quit those numbers flashing. You know, we don't want the time of death to be 12 for you, okay? So I'd program the VCR. I'm still doing this for my parents. In our day and age, it's not too uncommon for kids to teach older people things. Because the world is radically changing because of technology. But did you know that if you were to grab um, Joseph, Jesus' dad, and... George Washington and plop them both down into our day and age. They'd be like, wow, this world is radically different than my own. But if you were to plop Joe, Jesus' dad, in George Washington's day and age, he'd be like, yeah, I can make my way through this world. I know what this looks like. I understand this. And if you were to take George Washington and stick him in Joseph's world, he'd be like, yeah, I can manage. I can figure this out. If you put us back there, we're like, where's the electricity Where's the hot water? What do I do now? And so, for a 12-year-old to know things that adults don't know in that day and age is unheard of. It doesn't happen. And Jesus is sitting there teaching the brainiest of the brainiest Hebrews in the temple. And look at what his parents think. When his parents saw him, they were astounded. They were astounded. You see, they've already got the inside knowledge that he's the Messiah. They've already got the inside experience from angels and from wise men and from shepherds and from Simeon, the the prophet. They already have the insights into who he is. But I imagine every single day with Jesus. You could say it was sweeter than the day before. But my guess is it was different than the day before. I'm sure every single day, Jesus is becoming more aware of who he is and what his mission is. And every single day, Mary and Joseph are starting to realize more and more what this is going to cost them. Remember when the prophet spoke to Mary and he said, a sword will pierce your soul. And I would imagine as she was frantically looking for Jesus for three days, she went back to that prophecy and thought, maybe this is the sword. Because when you've lost the kid and you can't find them for three days and I don't even know what that's like, but I can think of just a few moments or even hours where you don't know about their whereabouts, you don't know how they're doing and you're worried and you're sick about it and it feels like your soul is being pierced by a sword and I wonder if Mary thought that's what he's talking about. But then they found him and they found him teaching and they were astounded and then she thought, uh oh, that's not the sword. Man it's, just, man, it's just the beginning of what I'm going to sacrifice for this kid. You see, we're all empathy, empathi- we are all empathetic towards Mary and Joseph in this story, aren't we? We're all thinking, it's told from their perspective. We're all thinking, my goodness, what would I be? I'd be tearing my hair out. I'd be freaking out. I'd be like, where is my kid? Then you find him. you're astounded. But you soon remember how much heartache he's put you through. You're relieved. But you're a little angry. And you say this. Son. (laughs) I imagine she said it like that. In the temple. Son. Why have you treated us like this? Maybe she kind of. Whispered it a little bit. You know, like how moms are at Stern at church. Hey, sir, you know, why have you treated us like this? Don't you love that question? Tuck that away, parents. Why have you treated us like this? Like what? I mean, that's how most kids respond. Your father and I, right? She's getting into Jesus' face. Your father and I. You got to use your imagination. Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Right? I mean, Jesus is like in trouble. 12-year-old Jesus. Why were you searching for me? Uh, By the way, if that's, If your reaction to that is, huh? Get used to that when you read words in red in the Bible. Get used to that when Jesus opens his mouth. Get used to going. What? Huh? Excuse me? You're 12. Why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know? (laughs) Mom, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? That's why I keep saying Joe's not his dad. Didn't you know? (laughs) Apparently not. Took us three days to catch up with you. (laughs) Didn't you know? And I feel so much better when they say, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. You ever feel that way with Jesus? Where your initial reaction is, huh? I don't understand what you are telling me. Can I get that written down so I can think about it for a while? Can I take that to somebody smarter than me? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. End of discussion, apparently. At least the part that intrigues Luke because he tells us no more. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured up all these things in her creative memory scrapbook. (laughs) And as Jesus grew up, he increased in wisdom and in favor with God and people. Actually, it wasn't a creative memory scrapbook. And actually the word treasured means that she is sitting around trying to figure out. She is pondering. She is trying to interpret What does this mean? What does it mean that my kid is the king? And he hangs out for three days unsupervised at the temple teaching the brainiacs. What does this mean? And I would imagine that she's thinking about the prophet Isaiah where he said that the Messiah would come as the king of wisdom. So they go, oh. He's a really smart one, this Jesus. But I also bet you that she's starting to think, if it costs me this much when the kid's 12, what's it going to cost in a few years from now? You see, for the Jewish people, when a boy turned 13, they, they officially see him and recognize him as a man probably be helpful if we did that. In fact, adolescence is a rather new phenomena we just invented for some reason. So we could have kids sitting around playing Xbox, I guess, all day long. Uh, George Washington, actually at the age of 15, was the state surveyor for the state of Missouri. Spent his weeks out on horseback mapping Missouri. I have a 15 year old. I'm scared to let him drive in a few months. I love him. He's smart. The trouble is, he doesn't live in a culture that expects very much of him. And as a parent, to expect much of him seems really mean. Jesus is going to be a man when he's 13. And I would imagine Mary is starting to think, "Huh. What is God going to ask of me? What is God going to expect of me? He doesn't even see us as the authority figures in his life much anymore. And he's only 12. Some of your parents can relate with that. But in this case, it's not sin. In this case, it's true. In this case, it's not being a pain in the neck. It's being the son of God in this case. And Mary is starting to think there is going to be a price to be paid to be the mother of the son of God. There is going to be a transition that has to happen in my life where I am the mother of the son of God. But now I have to become the child of the son of God. And my imagination, I think she is wondering what cost. I thought you loved me, God. I mean, I read the track from Campus Crusade for Christ, and it said, God loves me and has a wonderful plan for my life. And I didn't think it included losing my kid for three days. I didn't think it included getting pregnant out of wedlock. I didn't think it included all the scandal that I've already gone through, God. I didn't think it included any more suffering. And when we pick up her story next, we see more and more confusion and more and more pain in her life and more and more paying a price to let her son be Messiah. One of the things I take away from this story Is that Mary's an example for us. Because to follow Messiah, there's always a cost. Now, don't misunderstand me. To be saved is free. But there is no salvation apart from discipleship. You see, when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, when you decide to follow Him, that's when you are saved. That's when your sins are washed. That's when the Holy Spirit comes and lives and dwells within you. But it doesn't end there, it just begins there. And constantly in our lives, We have to reevaluate and reassess and we have to look into the scriptures and we have to figure out, am I following or am I not? Am I following or am I not? Am I paying the price? Am I counting the cost or am I not? In the words of Jesus, you must take up your cross daily and follow him. And the first person that ever had to do that, though she was insanely confused and befuddled about it, though she did not understand it most of her life with Jesus, the first person that did this was Mary. You might be thinking, boy, that's a lot for Jesus to ask of me. huh?" It's an awful high price. Perhaps. And perhaps if you had to earn your salvation, it would be too great of a price. Perhaps if you had to earn it, if there was some kind of transaction that you had to go through, if there was some mumbo jumbo that you had to do, if there was some ritual, if there was some way of saying your prayer the right way, if there was some way of showing up to church just enough times, if there was just some way that you could please God and do just enough to be good enough, then yeah, this could be too high of a price. But... If this is the expectation of a gift that was given to you freely, willingly, the death of the son of God. And he gives you a new beginning. He gives you a new heart. He gives you a transformed person. He gives you freedom from your past. He gives you freedom from lies. He gives you freedom from darkness. He gives you willingly, lovingly, joyfully gives you. <laughs> Don't you want to follow? I mean, somebody who gives you all of that, someone who gives you the opportunity to be in heaven, seated with him forever, somebody who gives you on this earth life abundant, someone who gives you all of these things and all he asks from you is follow me. It seems that that's a very small price to pay for somebody who's willing to give you so much. And beyond that, paid so much to give it to you. Paid with his life, paid with his blood. Paid with his death. So that we might have life to the fullest. See you and I. Have 2000 years under our belts from these stories. We have the rest of the story. Do you know that the Bible. The last major language it was translated into was English. Did you know that. John Wycliffe. When he died in his old age, he had been one of the first to translate the Bible into English. And it made them people so mad. He died in his old age that several years later, they dug up his bones and burned them. Did you know that people died so that you could read the Bible in your own language? Did you know that people defied kings and rulers and principalities? And authorities so that you could have this and read it. They thought it was important enough. Did you know that I have friends that live in Africa and and Tajikistan and parts of the world. And they spend their lives sitting around studying grammar of other languages. So they, they can translate this thing into the heart language of somebody else. And they will die on those mission fields. And they will give their lives for that. So that those folks can have the same experience you and I take for granted. What price are you willing to pay to follow Christ? You know, a good way to answer that question. What is it that. You can't imagine imagine living without. What in this world has got your heart? What in this world that you think, oh, if I don't have that, I would die. And if the answer is anything but Jesus Christ. You are an idolater. And Jesus asks you. You. To let it go and to follow. Imagine a church of people that got this and understood this. Imagine a group of people that when Jesus came calling and said, hey, I want you to do this. I want you to build that. I want you to give to this. Imagine What a group of people that understood that I am clinging to Christ, not to my stuff, not to my friends, not to my status, not to my ego, not to my reputation. Imagine a group of people that said, I am clinging to Christ and nothing else. Imagine what they could do. Will we be those people? Or will we sit and wait for others? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this fascinating story from Jesus' middle school days. The only one in Scripture. We ask, Father, that as we consider this story from Mary's perspective and just how heartache, how much heartache she must have felt worrying about losing the Messiah for a few days. Starting to recognize that one day she's going to need to let this boy go. That God's call on his life is more powerful than a mother's love. As she realized what she was going to need to sacrifice for him. Lord, I pray that we would see her life and be transformed and encouraged by it. And that we would be folks who do not take things in this world too seriously. But we would take Christ. Seriously. Holy Spirit, make it so. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. May you turn and give him your life. Amen.